Hey, what it do, sports fans? Welcome to the Sports Live podcast brought to you by Multimedia Live. I'm Sboom Jigeli, so your host, and I will be joined by various guests on this exciting new podcast to discuss the latest ins and outs of the sporting world. If you missed last week's episode, man, I honestly can't tell you, I can't quantify how much content you missed, how much information you missed. I had an interview with Inikadebe, yeah, the famous Inikadebe who broke through in the 2013 Craven Week Golden Lions team and went all the way to star four, the KZN, UKZN MP as a fly half before making his Super Rugby debut for the Sharks at just 22 years old. But what happened with Ini? We don't know. Well, we didn't know until I sat down with him at a barbershop and we chopped it up and spoke about what happened in his career. Now 25, stunningly, he's had a full year where he was playing no rugby. A lot happened between his move from the Sharks back to the Lions, which eventually didn't materialize. And we get into that conversation as to what exactly happened to Ini Khadebe. A lot of people were have been asking me on social media and wondering, what happened to this kid? How, how does a kid so talented can play fly half, can play fullback, young and black, you know, and somehow just vanished? Now he's playing... Uh, club rugby at college rovers they won the mario cup last year beating durban collegians i was actually in durban that weekend funny enough and he played a blinder scoring the the last minute conversion i think that won the game in 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 extra time so he's healed from his knee injury and yet professional avenues have seemed to have closed up and it's really mind-boggling as to why a guy who is fit and playing, such as Ini Khatebe, is not able to get a professional contract, but you've got a guy that is perennially unfit, such as Dimitri Katrakilis at the Southern Kings, who is injured yet again, but he is able to get a nice, cushy franchise contract. And that, for me, is the stuff that we need to address and we will continue to address on this very podcast as far as South African rugby is concerned. Something has to change. There has to be a level of sanity, a level of fairness, and a level of logic when it comes to contracting players in this country. And in other contract news, we've just found out that the Bulls have brought back to Infermierlin, but he's only going to rejoin the team in June, that's at the end of this current Super Rugby campaign. The Bulls have been struggling as I speak to you. They have not won a single game this season in Super Rugby. The only team to not have won a game after four matches, five rounds of Super Rugby this season. And last week they lost to the Jaguars at home in a game where their defense went horribly awry. But... They fixed some of their attacking impotence, if I can put it that way. A lot of good work from Warwick Haaland, especially in the try that he scored in the corner. Good offloads. Johnny Kutze was playing at inside center. Johnny Kutze had a mixed bag of a game. I thought he was very, very good with ball in hand, but his defense lacked quite quite miserably, in fact. You found that the fly-half, the Jaguars uh, fly-half, Joaquin Diaz-Bonilla, found a lot of space right in behind the defense and that led to one of the tries by Matthias Moroni, the outside center. But there were a lot of gaps in, in that bull squad and 
I'm again baffled as far as the contracting is concerned. Yes, Dwayne Vermeulen was massive for the Bulls last season, massive for the Springboks in the World Cup winning campaign. And losing the likes of him, the likes of Lord Diaghe, the likes of Andre Pollard, the likes of uh, Skalk Brits, and a whole lot of other players, Jesse Creel, I'll put him in there. Losing those players definitely did impact the Bulls. But in their Bulls 15 team, which played on Friday against the Falke, they've got Tim Agaba, they've got uh, Abongile Nongotwana, two physical loose forwards. Yet, um, Abongile has only played the first two games of the season. And Tim Agaba somehow can't seem to crack a place in the squad. They've even resorted to playing Jandre Rudolph, who's an open side flanker, playing him at number eight, a very specialist position. And we saw how that impacted the team when they came up against a guy like Rodrigo Bruni, who plays for the Hog Warriors, how physical he was and how much he dominated the confrontational exchanges. And it's just, I was just watching the Bulls thinking, you have to do better than this. Yes, they have realized that contracting-wise, they did lose quite a bit. And bringing in Dwayne Vermeulen could could help uh, stem the tide of, of losses. But he's not available this Super Rugby season. So he's of no use to the current campaign where they haven't won a single game. Before we get into more rugby conversation, let's get into some positive news now. And that comes from Australia, where the T20 Women's World Cup is on the go. South Africa, the women's protests, have qualified for the semifinals. Nice and early, nice, quick, uh, seamless qualification. That came after, last week, they beat Thailand. They actually uh, punished Thailand. They won by 113 runs. Last week, scoring 195 for three before bowling out Thailand for just a paltry 82. They went on to beat Pakistan, which I thought was a sensational result. Uh, Laura Wolfart was the star performer in that game. She got 53, not out, in a South Africa win by 17 runs. A little bit sticky in the Pakistan chase, I thought, towards the end. But uh, brilliant, brilliant bowling from the Proteus women there. And I thought... For them to qualify this early in a major tournament, we know that they made the last ODI 50 over World Cup. They made the semifinals of that one before losing to England. But just how they've improved as a unit under Hilton Moreng, who we're going to hear from shortly, is just amazing. And they beat England for the first time in an ICC tournament, which really set up this qualification for the knockout stages. And this that's a team they'd never beaten in, in an ICC tournament before. And you have to believe that now they will believe that they can go all the way in this tournament. They are in Group B with England, as well as the West Indies and Pakistan and Thailand, whom they've just defeated and they by the time you hear this uh they would have faced uh, the west indies a game happening or that happened on tuesday this is being recorded the day before on the monday but that result is inconsequential except to decide who will top group b with south africa at the moment as i'm talking to you uh at the time of recording they're tied on six points with england england having played a match extra and uh, South Africa being second on an inferior net run rate. But if they beat the West Indies in their final group stage game, they will definitely top Group B. And that could set up a showdown with uh, Australia. If they finish second in their group, they will definitely face India, who have qualified from Group A. And I really, really see something 
great in the horizon for for the South African women's team. The semifinals will take place on the 5th of March and the final will take place on the 8th of March. And this is Hilton Mureng talking about how how just how amazing and 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 how much his team has improved. Hilton Mureng, of course, the head coach who's been in charge for quite some time now and has really, really brought the best out of these players, out of Danae Fanikirk, Marizan Karp, Ayabonga Kaka. The ladies have been brilliant. Of course, Laura Wolfart, who, who scored an amazing 53 not out in the last game to get them over the line. They've just been amazing, man. And listen to Hilton Murang and how confident he sounds talking about this women's team. I think even when we landed in uh, Australia, well, after the prep that we had, uh, we knew that it's, the group is going to be tough, firstly, because it's uh, other than the group that we had in 2018, only Pakistan is a new newbie in this group. So we knew exactly what to expect as far as the team are concerned, the style and everything. But after what, the results that we had, there we knew it was going to be a challenge. So each and every player had to just focus on what we needed to do. And also what helps is the conditions... Uh, most of the players have played in these conditions, so that the upset far as our prep is concerned. Experience. I think most of these players have been there. They've played a lot of cricket against these teams. And the fact that most of them have been part of the big bash also, I think, given a bit of comfort. And the other thing that is that we came from a very good tour uh, from New Zealand on our way here. So that also gave them confidence to be able to compete against one of the top teams in the world, especially in this format. So yes, we didn't, we didn't win the series. As far as T20s are concerned, but we had a very successful ODI series. So from that, I think momentum and then confidence just built from there. And then it was good to see how everybody applied themselves on the day. And that was Hilton Murang, head coach of the Proteus women's team like i said they were just absolutely absolutely amazing in their games so far against pakistan thailand as well as england but moving to rugby now we're switching it back to the rugby conversation i'm sure a lot of you have seen or heard the clips uh, that have been doing the rounds on social media about rassi erasmus and him giving us a snippet, a little look behind the scenes into the team and the preparation that went into that Rugby World Cup win. And I have to add this onto the podcast, just in case uh, a lot of you have not seen or heard that Rassi Erasmus clip. The one that really, really spoke to me was about the cycle a Springbok rugby player goes through and how they go from being hungry how much the desire they have to become springbok and how then the cycle turns once they do become springboks that hunger is still there but they want to win trophies they want to get accolades and once they do get accolades they do get caps they do get the contracts they do get the pats on the back what then happens is what he calls a switch then they become entitled you have to listen to this full audio it's about four minutes it's a clip where Rassi Rasmus really speaks about how he himself also fell into the trap and I think it's a lesson a lot of people can take into their profession certainly I took it as a sign that 
You can never get too comfortable if you truly, truly want to be great. If you want to do what you are currently doing, if you want to get into it, break into it, and you want to do it for a very, very long time, and you want to be known as one of the greatest people that have ever done the job that you particularly do, I have to use this reference. It does apply to sport, but I think you can put it across the board that you have to get over the trap of entitlement. You have to get over the trap that you are entitled to things. Things will happen because you have been there the longest or you are the oldest or you are the most senior. You have to continuously put in the work. Otherwise, the rewards are not going to come. What you will get is comfort. What you will get is complacency. And these are the things that uh, Rasi uh, talks about. And he does drop the D word in there. He says he was a bit of a D himself when he was a springbok. But he says it's not a matter of whether you become entitled or not. Uh, 95% of people will get to that stage. It's just a matter of how long you stay entitled. And listen to this Rasi Rasmus clip which I thought was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And I want you guys to remember this, boys. Went through this one and we said, uh, and, and that's why I had that photo of myself on, because I want to say it's not a bad thing that one goes through these phases, because all of us go through these phases. I went through this phase and I was, a, I was exactly what I'm going to explain here for two years, for a year and a half, two years. And for me, the, the, the journey of a Springbok player will always stay the following. You, you, you're desperate to become one. Marco is now desperate to become a Springbok, Marco van Star, and he wants to play for the Springbok. So he sacrifices a lot. And then, yes, you get, eventually you get selected as a Springbok and you, you get that honor of becoming a Springbok. But you still sacrifice because it's so lack of singing that anthem and you know, that girl now loves you forever and, and everything. All the positive things you get out of playing for the Springboks. It's an honor now and your mom and dad's proud and yes, you, you, know, you sit in that bus and, and you get unerfleisch and everything is there. And then you start getting the satisfaction or almost reward. Good contract. You become a brand. People follow you. you become all, but you still sacrifice. Because you want all of this. You're desperate to be there. It's an honor to be there. You get, and, and, I, and I try to put it like that, where we say, when you're desperate, you said, I'll do it at all costs. You maybe can't read there. It says down there, desperation, you said, at all costs. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking sacrifice at all costs. I want to be a springbok. And you always say, the first day you want to be a springbok, and then you get it, and then you burst off pride when you get it. You fuck, you tell you, it is unbelievable. I'm a springbok now. I'll, and this must never get taken away from me. And you sacrifice and you sacrifice and you sacrifice. Then, then you start getting rewards. Contracts, pat on the back, yes, endorsements. People are saying great things about you. There's so many rewards that you get. And then unfortunately, you get entitled. Uh, which is a normal cycle, boys. You're not an arsehole when you go through that. That's a normal cycle of any Springbok player. There's, I know very few of them who doesn't go to that one there. It just depends how long you stay there. Some guys stay there for ages, then they play four tests. Some guys quickly understand, shit, I must keep on sacrificing. Yeah, I must have all of these. And these are the guys, who, those who we say is has-beens, because they don't play a, a lot of rugby long, those entitled ones. But the, this is what we wanted, we, we, and this is the one, ownership, that ownership part. The moment you, ta you take ownership of this whole thing, you say, oh, shit, 
I'm, I'm always going to sacrifice. I'm honored, I'm desperate, I get the reward, but shit, I'm taking ownership of this thing. If, if, you, if you think, you, you check yourself on this always. Not, not like check yourself, but you know, I went through two years, and I said it to the Stormers last year, when nobody told me, you're being an absolute dick. Where I was player of the year, good contract, great money. Yes, flipping, uh, Springboks have started every test match here. We were winning 17 test matches in a row. But a guy called Harry Filyun, who was a businessman, who didn't follow rugby, had to come in and eventually just drop me. And then my, my buddy started telling me, I said, why is that guy dropping me? Because you're an asshole. Because you're so entitled, Rasi. You're a little bit of a virus in the team because you're getting everything and moaning about training sessions. And, you know, I was such a bad team person in that. And then eventually my wife also told me that. So if you don't take ownership yourself about this, but this ownership is also about the team. If, if, if you don't have the balls to tell one of your team members, hey, you're being a dick, you're being an asshole, you're in this entitled mode here, yeah. then you're also not taking ownership there. So, boys, this is something, and I'm going to show you a little bit later, this is a big part of our team selection, where, where if, if, if you, you can be the most brilliant rugby player, boys, but if you're this entitled person, and I'm not saying there's a shitload of you sitting here, but I'm telling you, you're going to go through that. And now to wrap it up, we have to get into a nice special conversation. This is one that I've dug up from a YouTube uh, clip that I did, a nice little YouTube series that I've got going on where, uh, with a few mates and a former mentor of mine. Uh, it's, it's free content for anyone to go up there and go to YouTube, search for Ibali Logo Vuga, uh, or search for my name, Spoom Jigeliso, and this interview with Dr. Jerome Mambane. Uh, he was one of the team doctors in the Springbok team that won the Rugby World Cup. We've obviously just heard from Rasi Erasmus, the South African uh, director of rugby, who was head coach when the Springboks won the World Cup. And yes, I know a lot of rugby bias on here, but come on, guys. If the Springboks won the World Cup, you know, you, it's just, and I think the way they won it, it's just one of the most amazing things that us as South Africans need to celebrate. And there are so many lessons we can draw from that World Cup win. And I'm just, I, I get so excited every time we peel another layer of this World Cup win. And we've done just that in this conversation called Ibali Logo Vuga with Jerome Mambani. I'm only going to give you a snippet of that interview but just enough for you to understand exactly the journey and the behind the scenes uh stuff that went into winning that rugby world cup coming from a medical side you have to remember that going into the rugby world cup the captain sia colisi was an injury doubt he had a knee injury and rassi erasmus said he's only going to take fit players so now the job was on the likes of Dr. Jerome Mambane to get Sia Kulisi uh, ready. You have to consider during the tournament, Trevor Nyakane went down in the first game against New Zealand. Jesse, They lost Jesse Creel not long after that. They had to bring in replacements like uh, Thomas Tutoit. They had to bring in Damien Willemser. And those guys had to also... Um, 
get up to the level of the other guys in the Rugby World Cup. And, of course, there was a Cheslin Colby ankle injury that made him miss the Wales semi-final. This conversation just has a look at th- those kind of intricacies. You know, oh, do you play Cheslin? What, what were they thinking about? What are they going to do faced with the dilemma of their best player being injured against uh, Japan? Do you risk him for the semi against Wales or do you bring in Spoon Kose? It speaks about how Rassi Erasmus had so much trust in this team, in this core group, that he was able to let Cheslin Kobe uh, recover for a week, even though they were facing a tough, tough semi final against Wales, which fortunately they overcame and the Springboks became Rugby World Cup champions. Here's another layer, here's another look behind the scenes of this amazing feat. The, of the Springboks winning the third Rugby World Cup. This is a conversation on Ibali Lokuvuga with Dr. Jerome Mampane. Enjoy. At the World Cup now, yeah. um, lots of things. Sia Kulisi, the, yes, cap, yes. the captain in doubt. Um, we know there's a few guys who can buckle from time to time to end from yelling. Um, we, we lost Trevor in unfortunate mm. circumstances, mm. Jesse Creel, mm. you know, just managing the team in that background, uh, your medical team and the physios and all those guys, how, how, how did you manage to keep the team still together, even with all these these things that can happen in a rugby tournament. I yeah. mean, it's they're not they're, those aren't unique problems to South Africa. A lot of teams lost players during and, and, and in between. So, yeah, tell us about that 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 Japan experience. Look, a lot of a lot of <laughs> great fortune. I'd be honest with you. Yeah, and also good sound work from the medical team as a whole. I mean, I I think I, I don't think I've mentioned it that we had Conrad von Hachen who was the head of the medical team. Yes, and then we had myself um, as a second doctor, and we had Tanushri Pillay, uh, Renee Naylor, and Vivian Fervant, and Z joined us as the dietitian. Okay. We had um, Simji, but just the planning around first with the coaches, mm-hmm. so the understanding mm-hmm. of of what was required. I, I think if you looked at 2018 and the the just those alignment camps combined with the conditioning camps. Mm. It's almost like soldiers that you were being, had during Super Rugby. Like that's in, it. In, in the, those things camps. were preparing sh- soldiers for war. That's what it was, and and the reality was, after 2018, maybe I don't know if the public could be confident, but mm. we were confident because you could see the just a definite direct change. Um, I mean, 2018, you beat New Zealand in New Zealand, like some, World Cup winning confident. That's what I mean, because mm. mm. you you almost build momentum. You know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. you look at it as as. Okay, fine. Are we now fit enough to handle these guys? Yes, we are. And the fitter we get, the less prone to injury we, we become. Mm. So those issues were also starting to get worked out by how much good... Alec good, Walters, conditioning that's coach it, as well. That's it. I forgot to mention him. Yeah, No, that's yeah. it. But the good hard work and preparation that was going to it and understanding was affecting just how how much we were seeing guys in the medical team, in the medical room. But also what is helping is that, look... I'd always credit those physios. Those guys work hard. Mm, those mm. guys really work hard. So the plans that were afoot and the amount of work that went into it, those guys are exceptional people. I, I 
if I turned around and, and you asked me to refer you to anyone, I'd refer you to those guys because mm-hmm. I've seen how hard they work. I understand their work ethic and also their knowledge is, is, is amazing. Also in a pressure environment yeah. every week. Yeah. And now yeah. you've got, yeah. there was ang- anxious moments oh. when we lost Cheslin Colby it, it, with that niggling ankle. You see, you see, that's, Didn't that's a thing. in the semifinal. I mean, I mean, use Trevor's example. You, Trevor's been prepared for how long, yet struggled mm. maybe the, the years before with, mm. with certain weight issues, but suddenly he's moved on. He's become one of the mm. best props in the mm. world. And then, you know, they work hard to actually help Trevor prepare. He picks up a knee injury against Japan, mm. um, but he goes home for a little bit. It's managed well. He comes back. You know, you think to yourself, it'll go smooth, mm. but maybe that's why I enjoy the other under 20 experiences that it never goes smooth. Mm. I know I understood mm. that from all, mm. all those previous tournaments. So Trevor gets injured, Jesse gets injured first game. You almost now have to make secondary plans. So those were, they were high pressure situations for us mm. as a team. It was, I'd say to you, it was, it was difficult. There were, there were challenges, especially when Cheslin got injured. Um, that was an interesting challenge. It was a question of how do we balance out? You know, you talk about it in sports medicine when you're being taught. You talk about your Olympic star is, a, is supposed to go into the final of the 100 meters. And he's a metal hopeful. And he's not 100%. And he's not 100%. He's got a hamstring tear. <sighs> Do you let him run? Do you not let him run? The conversations we had with Rassi were useful. Um, they were brilliant. We had a conversation in just before the semifinal where the coach was saying, in fact, before the quarterfinal, where you were saying something. He said, it, he said it like this, which I thought was brilliant. He said, the reality of it is that now we're here, right? And this is our final. Mm. So playing Japan is our final. You know what I mean? And then, so everything else, if, if we don't that, get past this hurdle, mm, we're done. That's the tournament. So this is our final. Mm, so mm. how do we work to get our best guys available? So we worked hard, uh, put in a good plan for Cheslin. He did well. Mm. He did very well and he looked prepared for that match and we went with it. It's just unfortunate that, you know, when you've had a previous injury and then you get into a situation like that, lots of running. Yeah. yeah your yeah. ankles twisted. I, yeah. I don't know if you, if you watch that match again, you'll see. I, I did. Up grimacing there a was lot. actually two moments where he actually grimaced. Yeah. Um, the, the worst one, I think, is when two players was fielding a ball. One yeah. hit him low and one hit him not high as an illegal high. Yes, but it was. But mid- it was, they chopped yeah. him high, so he was bent backwards. Yeah. And you could actually hear him wince in yeah. pain. Yeah. Um, it, again, question. Say he didn't have the ankle injury. Say it was someone else. Mm. Would they also have experienced the issue? Probably they would have twisted as well in those situations. Mm. So I, yeah, I don't know why it happened why to it him. Happens <laughs> that but when it, you have <laughs> that niggle, you know, it's, it's like the they're one, chasing the yeah, one. It's like the, the one place that's going to get. So hurt. he, yeah, he, yeah, he struggled through it, and maybe good decisions were made. But we it got was to a the good call to no, bring in Smu in, in the in the semifinal against Wales. Excellent call. Excellent. Cool. It, it brought, yeah. it brought, it gave Cheslin time to build momentum again, mm. build confidence again. Mm. And then it also brought us to that point again of making the choice. You know what I mean? Mm. You have your Olympic sprinter. He's going into a final. Yeah. And he needs to win a gold medal and he has a chance of really winning a gold medal. Do you let him run or do you say, I'm not sure? Yeah. And so we went through, we t- trusted the systems. We trusted the player. Um, he trusted the plan. He participated. It's, it's a testament to the quality of people you work with. When you work with high performance athletes, they, they, they have, especially those ones, they, for some reason, they have a different resilience, they have a different commitment to, to work and their ethic is, is, is unbelievable. Yeah. So when, when we went there, you could, 
you could tell Tesla in the plan, he could buy into the plan. He b- already bought into the coaching plan. I mean, yeah. that was obvious how he was playing, but you could work those things out. And the exceptional thing was that he came out, he came out of it good. He came out of it actually scoring a try. So you see Bongi jumping up and down. You don't see us jumping up and down like crazy because it's like, yeah, dude, yeah, for final, everything we did, there's the guy. That's he's the there. That's that's that was it. Yeah. That's that's what made it worth it. And yeah. uh, to wrap up our conversation, the final against English, you're probably thinking, oh boy. Yes. <laughs> My wife sent me a message. My wife actually it's sent England me a message. Again. She said she wrote it like that the time they'd won. She was like, oh my gosh, not England again. Because she, she knew the history, like five years in a row. England, 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 lost, lost, lost. Yeah. And I, I didn't know. We were nervous. But I remember a conversation with Matt Proudfoot. It was maybe mm. two days before. Yes, it was two days before. It was still a physical, still one of our physical days. So mm. it, was, it wasn't even captain's run. And he just said, you, I feel sorry for England. After his scrubbing sessions. He just After said, oh, I feel sorry for England. And then I, you know, I mean, so, we, so Beast, um, Bongi, uh, the front rows, Franz Maherber, yeah. uh, Thomas Dutoit, yeah. um, Malcolm Marx, uh, who's, who's the other tight head, um, Stevie. Stephen Kitsoff yeah. was uh, the loose head. Uh, man, so yeah. those guys were pumped. No, they were Vincent pumped. Gaw. They were pumped. They yeah. Were, they were so pumped that I think that's why I just, I would have loved for Carl Sinclair to stay on a little bit. So that, so that it's real. It needed to just eliminate the myth that you would have, you would have done something. Been injured in the second minute. I, I honestly think Beast was going to fold him in half. (laughs) That's what I think. I think, I think, I think they can be as confident or they can throw as many arguments our way. The fact is we were, the learnings I had from those previous things is that you are as good as your preparation Mm. for that match. So our preparation was preparation of champions mm. from the planning phase mm. to the execution phase of that week to the getting to playing. We were, <laughs> you can't beat readiness like that. You know, when you walk out yeah. and then it's like, it's this exam and there's nothing more to learn. There's, nothing. there's just, they're just, just getting out there, out there doing and doing it and doing it. Yeah. There's no cram, no, 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 no cramming, no nothing. <laughs> Rusty had this thing that he like saying, he's like, yeah, we're going to give destiny a, give destiny a go. You yeah. know what I mean? And if it's not our, if it's not our, our chance, not our chance, but we're going to give it one hell of a go. We were, yeah, we were better prepared than them. I'd, I'd back that statement. I'd sit back and say we were better prepared. I think if you look at our momentum and our development for, from the past two years leading up to that moment, yeah. um, just our results with the exception of that New Zealand game, uh, were showing that and we were very confident. Mm. Um, I was nervous about England. I was nervous because how, it was how did it feel finally to um, get over them? <laughs> <laughs> and where, where was that moment when you like we've got we've got the game? Was it the Mapimpi try? Was it the Cheslin try? Was it the I think when we were eighteen nine ahead when Pollard slotted yeah. um, the the kick that really I think really winded them. So the the where what's your moment that you said? up from your seat when Cheslin went through so mm. before Cheslin I think we got to about that Mapimpi try went on right and then I was like okay fine let's just keep a level head okay let's just get through this you know maybe maybe it might be happening you know you ask yourself the question yeah. is this really happening then I'm like okay okay no no it's, it's okay just relax relax it's coming it's coming it's coming let's see and then we get to about the 70th minute you look at the scoreboard you're like okay it's not bad we're there we're there and then I think Cheslin scores, right? 
And then something inside me just says, oh my gosh, this is really happening. That's it for me, Spoom Chigeliso, and you've been listening to the Sports Live podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Do also catch us on timeslive.co.za, as well as Sowetan Live, Business Live. We are also on Iono FM, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you get your podcasts. It could be Spotify, Stitcher, Cashbox, Pocket Cast, wherever. To connect with us, please use the hashtag Sports Live. Share your comments with us at Times Live or at Sowetan Live on Twitter. A big thank you goes out to the multimedia live team led by Scott Peter Smith and producer Paige Muller, as well as the Tiso Black Star Digital Sports Department, headed by Ninawa Mchana Trogo. Our sound and audio mixer is Innocent Manike. From us at the Sports Live podcast, it's goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.